So do you ever have anything in your life that you do repeatedly, but for some inexplicable reason, every now and then you just forget how to do it or the order or whatever. Maybe it's like your pin number, something you have memorized that just leaves your head. That just happened to me. Uh, I'm here recording the podcast intro and hit record and I started doing my greetings. Welcome to another different church podcast. And then I forgot what I am supposed to say after that. Something about it. I hope you're having an awesome day. And I tell you about the time, which is 1.30 a.m., <laughs> by the way, Sunday night slash Monday morning. Uh, but I would—I don't know. I, I couldn't get the details right. And instead of looking it up and then being like, oh, yeah, that's it. I just thought I would share that with you because I think it's funny. Anyway, <laughs> I do hope you're having an awesome day. Happy to get this in your ears at the beginning of the week. Um, this is a really cool message. We had a great day at church today. Uh, cool crowds getting excited for Christmas. If you do plan on coming to church in person for Christmas, um, we are not having church Christmas day, which is a Sunday. We are having church Christmas Eve morning at our normal time of 1030. And then the week after new year's day is a Sunday. We are having a pajama party. So you are encouraged to wear your pajamas to church flannels, Uh, Whatever, just come be cozy. We're going to have fun. Uh, A couple other fun things we have coming up. uh, The 18th, so this coming Sunday, the kids are going to sing a song in the morning. Oh, I just got a text message from my wife at 1.30 a.m. She says our dog went to bed. (laughs) Uh, That's hilarious. Um, uh, I think I just mentioned the kids are singing the 18th, the first song. So if you want to hear that, and let's be honest, you do, because kids are adorable. Make sure you're there on time this coming Sunday. Um, I think that's it. Nothing else too exciting going on. Um, Today, Hannah is going to be talking about patience and how to deal in the middle of trials that will bring about patience. Uh, And we start off here reading um, some scripture from James. But before she does, she tells you a a funny story. So enjoy. I don't even know why I'm telling you this. Once upon a time, someone came in here and was like, I don't know if this is a good church. And I was like, oh, tell me more. (laughs) There's so many reasons people have told us these things, right? I was like, what is it going to be? Like, you're a lady. We love people. And they were like, I don't see anyone holding a Bible. And I was like, oh, well, I'm actually pretty sure everyone's holding a Bible. And they were like, what? And I was like, it's in the phone. It's in their phone. And I literally asked the next three people that came by. I was like, do you have the Bible app on your phone? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, hmm. But still, it wasn't enough. (laughs) And sadly, that person moved on to another church that had paper Bibles in large supply. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) This is what it says. This is James talking to a church, a group of people. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the coming of the Lord. Consider the farmers who wait patiently for the rains to fall and in spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering... Dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Patience. A favorite. What is it? (laughs) A favorite of toddlers and teenagers and uh, angry, annoyed adults everywhere. 
Patience, I think, is the point of Advent. It's what Advent is all about. So it makes perfect sense to talk about patience two weeks before we celebrate Christmas. The word Advent means arrival. So for Christians, Advent is the season where we wait through the month of December for Christmas Day to arrive when we celebrate Jesus' birth. We get to wait for anywhere from 22 to 28 days, depending on the year. This year, it's 28 days. This year's Advent started on November 27th and ends on December 24th. And <laughs> you should know that my notes, I don't know why I didn't like edit this or make this any different. It says, in parentheses, insert shameless plug about Christmas Eve service. <laughs> so there you go, shameless plug about Christmas Eve service. We have to make it through 28 days and then we get to Christmas. And even though this feels like truly an eternity to small children, it's not that long, right? Like we can handle 28 days. Before Jesus arrived, Advent had been going on for 400 years, okay? They didn't call it Advent, but like God had mostly been silent for 400 years. So Jesus then appeared and was like, woo, here I am. You get 33 years of me. You're welcome. And then I will tragically get murdered. But then I'll come back to life. And then I'm going to leave you to your own devices. Um, and I'll come back at some point. And that was 2,000 years ago. So maybe we should talk to those ancient people and be like, I see your 400 years of silence. And I, <laughs> I raise you 2,000 <laughs> and something. We're in the longest advent ever, I think. Waiting is not something the human race has ever been good at, and I, you would think that we would be good at it by now. Like, we have collectively had, like, a zillion years among all humans to practice waiting, and yet none of us are good at it. Uh, you would think that we would, like, compile our knowledge and be like, ah, when you get stuck in traffic for 45 minutes on the Howard Franklin Bridge for no other reason than a bird landed on the railing, <laughs> and people just had to look at it. This is how you be patient. This is the secret. We would all appreciate that, right? But no, the Howard Franklin Bridge is full of rage monsters. Or when you are in line at Publix and you just need to buy your pub sub and you are in a massive hurry for the love of God and someone in front of you has the audacity to pull out not just a paper coupon, but to count out exact change of dollars, real money dollars, from their purse-less wallet, you'd be like, oh, this is how you be patient. It's a secret, but no. Instead, the public's line is full of rage monsters. <laughs> or, you know, when you're just trying to buy four tiny bluey figurines off of Amazon for $9, because they're on sale and you know your toddler will explode with happiness if these tiny little plastic cretins just end up in their stocking on Christmas morning, but the robots that run Amazon refuse to let you put it in the cart and have your coupon savings and ensure your child's future happiness and prevent their certain spiral into delinquency. <laughs> this is how you can be patient. It's a secret. <laughs> But no, no. Instead, in the pastor's house, at the pastor's kitchen table, we had a rage monster. <laughs> Hello, it's me. <laughs> Don't judge me, okay? If you've never had a mental breakdown over bluey figurines or some completely insignificant and unimportant toy that your toddler needs, you don't have children. That's all I can say. We somehow, somehow, we're, we're all adults, pretty much. We're trying to be. 
And yet none of us have learned how to be patient, even after all this time. Have any of you ever heard the sentence like, whatever you do, just don't pray for patience? I'm, I've heard I'm pretty sure I've said that. Um, but I have some unfortunate news to share with you. You're getting the scenarios to practice patience whether you ask for them or not. It's called life. I'm pretty sure God does not care about whether you are asking for patience or not. God is like, ah, a life lesson for all of you. You all suck at this. So what I have for you is a gift. And here's many opportunities, whether you want them or have asked for them or not. Lessons in patience are like the steamed broccoli. (laughs) On the plate next to the Christmas ham and mac and cheese. (laughs) We don't want that. Look at all the other fun, exciting things to eat. Broccoli can take a hike on Christmas. And I mean, legitimately, I will not be eating broccoli on Christmas, okay? I'm going to be eating ham. I'm going to cook ham and mac and cheese and mashed potatoes and green bean casserole and fresh yeast rolls and chocolate cake and caramel pralines. No one's coming over. Don't invite yourself. I'm only making enough for me. (laughs) Where was I? (laughs) Potatoes. Potatoes. I actually really like broccoli, but I'm only offended by broccoli because uh, Nova was born today, two years ago, and um, some of my family, yes, love that journey for her. (laughs) It sucked for me, let me tell you. I had to actually birth her. The Christmas after she was born, a mere two weeks later, some of my family was like, oh, we'll handle dinner, and their vegetable was a bag of steamed broccoli. Microwavable. And I was like, ah, this is why I was going to order takeout and why none of you are ever allowed to cook again. (laughs) I will not be eating broccoli on Christmas, okay? This is the point. Are you still following the metaphor? Broccoli is patience. (laughs) Okay, I'm talking about patience. (laughs) You, the problem does not happen when we skip the broccoli on Christmas, okay? The problem happens when we skip it every other day of our life because we would rather not, okay? You can skip the lessons that God is trying to teach you about patience sometimes, and it won't make a difference. But if you keep skipping them and keep skipping them and keep skipping them and keep skipping them, eventually you will not have the tools you need to survive and thrive in this life. God is going to keep putting the vegetables on your plate. God's not going to like hold you down and force broccoli down your throat because that means you will never eat it again ever for your whole life. But if you don't eat it, eventually your growth as a human is going to be seriously stunted. In the passage we just read, James, the writer, is encouraging these early Christians to stand firm, to not judge one another, to bear with each other patiently all of our faults and failings that we have. And the example James is using is dry land farming. So like in the ancient world, they didn't have sprinklers or whatever you grow plants with. I don't know about plants. They just had this thing from the sky called rain. And they needed rain at certain specific times. Like you plant the seeds, you need rain to make it germinate and grow. And then you need rain before the harvest. But if it comes after the plants have grown and grown their crop, and then you get rain or hail, worse, it destroys everything. And they had no control over that. They could farm the land. They could plant the seeds. They could do everything possible in their power to ensure that they would have a wonderful crop and they had no control over the rain. They just had to wait and see. Easy peasy. 
I mean, if it was easy peasy, we wouldn't still be talking about this several thousand years later. James is writing to a group of people who were almost exclusively Jews who had become Christ followers. The Jews were not known for their general positivity and easygoing attitudes. And I'm allowed to say that because half of my family is Jewish and half of me is Jewish. And um, positive, easygoing, and looking for the bright side are words that do not describe my family. <laughs> okay, not at all. And if you think that's harsh, I just invite you to read the Old Testament. Okay, these sacred Jewish scriptures written by Jews are like, hey, y'all complain too much. God doesn't like it. <laughs> and also, neither do other humans. My grandfather, who I love dearly, can only be described as a massive grouch. <laughs> like, we would call him every single Sunday. It was our ritual. We would call him on Sunday afternoon, and I would say, hi, Grandpa, and he would go, what's high about it? <laughs> every Sunday, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I can recall many truly epic complaint sessions when his football team lost, and he loved the Washington Redskins, Generals, whatever they're called now. They're not a good team. So there was a lot of opportunities <laughs> for complaining. And then he recorded the games on VHS so that he could re-watch them <laughs> and relive his misery on a Tuesday when he might otherwise have been having a good day. I like to anthropomorphize like scripture sometimes because it makes me laugh. So I just like to imagine James showing up with this letter instead of like a written letter to just show up. What, are the, what is it called when like, Someone sings to you, like shows up and sings like a Christmas card to you? Yes, whatever that word was. A singing gram? I just like to imagine James as a singing gram showing up to a room full of my grandfather. Who are horrified that someone would have the nerve to talk to them about patience and not just talk to them, sing to them. <laughs> Even James, a clearly well-respected leader in his church, <laughs> who had something to say that was so important that we preserved it in our sacred scripture for thousands of years. James is demanding that these Jews who have become Christ followers take their faith so seriously that it shows up somehow and is apparent in their everyday life. And he goes right for the thing that all humans struggle with, patience. James is saying that if your faith doesn't translate to action in your real life, then it is in fact useless, just an empty show lip service. How will people know that Jesus is real or that God is real and cares? By watching you, our collective group of rage monsters. <laughs> and then James zeroes in on like one particular issue that comes up every single time people struggle with patience. And he calls it grumbling against one another. When we are feeling impatient or trapped or out of control in a situation, complaining usually our first coping mechanism. There is nothing that brings people together like a good complaint. <laughs> At least it brings people together for the short term. In the long term, it destroys community. Why does James care about this? Is it because the feelings of individual people are important? Is it because complaining about other people is bad for the person doing the complaining too? Is it because it's not fair or just or right to talk about someone when you don't have the nerve to go to them directly? Yeah, I mean, all of that's important, but I actually don't think that's the main reason why James is talking about this. 
I think the fundamental reason it is so important to avoid grumbling against one another is because survival over the long haul does not just require patience, it requires community. We actually need each other. And I think in our specific faith community, like we need each other more than most. So many of us have come from situations, from families, from churches, where we have not been able to trust each other or ourselves. We have hurt and bad stuff that we are carrying, and we are so often convinced that if we show up as our full selves, we will be rejected. We're nervous. <laughs> We're insecure. We cannot face how we truly feel about things, or sometimes we may actually be part of the problem. But we're trying, like we're trying actually really hard, I think. We are trying to be honest and open. We are trying to be upfront and authentic. We are trying to trust without judgment. We are trying to have realistic expectations of other humans, but we're scared. And the second something feels wrong or something feels off, or it's taking longer than we want it to for us to be healed, we start looking for the exit. We start thinking about jumping ship. We start trying to get people on our side. And like, I want you to hear, like, this is not an indictment. I think this makes sense. I think this is logical, right? Like, it is our body's way, our mind's way of trying to protect us from what we have been through. We will do the rejecting before we get rejected. We will cut and run before anyone can find out that we bruise easily. We will be self-deprecating so that we can scope out who laughs or who agrees too easily. So we know not to give those people a chance. <coughs> it makes sense that we act like this, okay? It makes sense that patience is the last thing we want to have in tense situations. And yet, one of the most, most, most beautiful things about faith is that it can make perfect sense why we act the way we act and we can accept that without judgment, and God is not going to let us stay there. God is not going to let us stay there. Because even though our body or our mind or our soul is convinced that this is the only safe way of interacting with other people, God knows better. Matthew 5.48 says, Be whole, as your heavenly Father is whole. We can't be whole if we're constantly fragmenting ourselves or each other into 100 pieces. Being whole means you see pain or adversity or struggle not as a personal indictment, but as the spark to your candle of wisdom and growth. We need each other. Do you know what makes waiting better? Other humans. Would you rather be stuck in traffic on the bridge by yourself about a bird or someone who like lost a two-inch piece of their tire? with your blood boiling, just like raging in your car alone, waiting to get wherever you don't want to be anyways? Or would you rather be stuck on the bridge with a car full of friends laughing and singing Christmas carols off-key and eating snacks? <laughs> that one, right? James knew that we need community. If we can't be patient with each other, we will destroy the very community that holds us up when we're waiting. James knew this, right? James was not actually writing to us. Like, we were like, yes, God knew. In God's wisdom, God preserved this so that we, yeah, sure. But James didn't know that, 
Okay, James wasn't like, in 2,000 years, there's gonna be some people in a place called Florida (laughs) who are mad about traffic (laughs) or whatever they're mad about. And this is gonna be like real important to them, so I need to make sure I write it down. No, he was writing to people that he knew. He was writing to his own faith community and there was some really serious stuff coming up. They're gonna be persecuted for their faith. Some of them were going to lose everything. They needed each other. And he's like, you all have gotta stop. (laughs) I need you to learn this lesson in patience. And maybe they did. I hope they did. And then what have happened was some new humans arrived. And I don't know if you've met new humans, but they're not patient. They come out screaming for stuff, whatever. And they just don't stop, ever. We don't stop. We don't scream externally anymore. How many memes? It's like some situation, internal screaming. (laughs) This is our life, right? And we just can't wait. We just can't be patient with each other, but we actually need each other in order to progress. And in evangelical circles, which a lot of us come from, like we tend to just skip Advent and go straight to Christmas. Aaron texted me the funniest TikTok the other day, and it was all about how different traditions are doing Christmas. And the evangelical one was like, what we're going to have, no service on Christmas Day, service on Christmas Eve. We're going to have Santa ziplining in with real live reindeer because we love Jesus. And all I could think was, what a liability nightmare. (laughs) What if that reindeer kicks someone? I have nothing against real life reindeer, okay? Or Santa on a zipline. I mean, (laughs) that's fine if you want to do that. But we go straight to that. We don't skip, we skip the Advent. We skip the before time. We skip the four Sundays. We skip the 28 days. And Advent is part of the liturgical calendar for a reason. Okay, the waiting period of Advent mirrors all kinds of waiting periods in our own life that we would rather skip, like waiting for graduation or waiting for that job or waiting to get pregnant or waiting for the baby to grow up or waiting for the right person to come into our lives or waiting for dinner or waiting in traffic and waiting until they text back and waiting. (sighs) I ran out of air. I could give you a hundred more examples. What are you waiting on? The Israelite people waiting for 400 years for God to speak. The people James was writing to, waiting for Jesus to come back. Us, 2,000 years later, waiting. We want to skip to the shiny part, the fun part, the singing part, the part where we open presents and have delicious dinner with family and friends. We don't want to wait through the evenings that come earlier and earlier every day. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Why are you here? It's 5 p.m. We don't want to wait. We don't want to wait and be reminded of all that has been lost or will be lost or wounded or hurt or broken. We don't want to wait through the silence, the stillness, the long, dark nights of the soul. All through Advent, y'all can come back up here. I'm almost done. All through Advent, people light candles. Does anyone light candles for Advent in here? Wow, what a bunch of evangelicals. <laughs> I love that I saw like two hands. And I'm not just saying I see that hand, okay? <laughs> two people legitimately did raise their hand. <laughs> In more liturgical traditions, traditions that celebrate Advent, there's a lot of candles that are lit. Some people light candles every Sunday. Some people light candles every night for Advent. But lots of candles get lit. And I think it is the most beautiful reminder of what we are waiting for 
and how to wait. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for the light of the world. The light that can never be hidden. The light that shines unmistakably and can never be turned off. The light of God, which is love. And while we are waiting for the light to be born on Christmas, we light the spark in our own hearts. We feel God's love in our souls, and a little candle is lit. We hold on to each other, and a little candle is lit. We take it one day at a time, or one hour at a time, or one minute at a time, and a candle is lit. We resist the urge to complain or to grumble against each other, and we light another candle. We lift each other up and we say what we're grateful for and we check in on each other and we count our blessings and we keep going. And every time we do any of that, another candle is lit. And pretty soon everyone is glowing from the inside. The light of God is shining and no one was trying to force it to. It was just a natural reaction to all the healing work we've put in so that we can be whole, just as God is whole. A whole little community of people, everyone with a little light. And maybe it's small and flickering and feeble when you're by yourself, but then when we come together, we have enough light for all of Christmas. That is why we wait through Advent, so we can be together, so we can grow together so we can do faith together and if we can keep doing it together then we'll be ready for the true miracle of Christmas a little baby pure in every way a reminder that it's okay to be human and that love looks like chosen family for God chose us and we are forever family together.